Cameron DeFazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We've arrived at our ninth lesson now in Present Truth from Deuteronomy, and it's entitled, Turn Their Hearts. <laughs> and really, those three words are all code for one word, which is repentance. Yes. The theme for the day is repentance and the change of heart that we need in our walk with Christ, and it's found in Deuteronomy. Now, you might think, well, you know, calls to repentance and a change of heart, that's all New Testament, surely not in the, but sure enough, it's rooted there in Deuteronomy. In fact, it says this week, according to Sabbath afternoon, we will see the idea of repentance as expressed in Deuteronomy. So that's where we're headed. I don't know that we have any other housekeeping items. It's really hard for me to grasp even though it's a reality that there are people who believe that the gospel is only in the New Testament. <laughs> I mean, well, you start reading the Bible. Repentance like, oh, here it is and again. faith and that. Yeah, really? Right is that the Old Testament? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, gonna this is going to see it again this week. So um, before we do uh, our talking points breakdown, why don't you give us a word of prayer sure. to open us up today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the testimony of your word. We thank you for this study we've been having in Deuteronomy. We pray the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, would give us a clear understanding of how these lessons apply to us here in the last days. Uh, we ask for a special blessing upon our teachers that are preparing to teach classes, that you would help them to be a blessing to those who come, and that we would be able to prepare people for the soon coming of Jesus. We would ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Why as mentioned before, yeah, our... the, um, the theme for Talk the week points. is repentance. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you're going to see how repentance was established as an expectation way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, of course. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see it in the New Testament. And we're going to dive into kind of the meaning of repentance and almost the logistics well, of Well, it was established before Deuteronomy, let's be clear. Well, but Yes. <laughs> Articulate here. <laughs> yes. Right. Point number one is more of a philosophical point, but it's an important one that undergirds everything. Is that There are some things God can't do. And that's coming from Sunday and Monday, and we'll talk about that. Now, it might seem blasphemous at Seems first. Seems contrary to the term omnipotent, which is all-powerful, but right. what? There's but something. in this so. realm, there is something that God can't do. All right. Talking point number two is that repentance means to return. Okay, that means okay. not just turn, but to return back to God. Okay, we'll see so that Monday. Okay, so just that, that yeah, you, the point number one comes from Sunday, Monday's lesson. Right. And then number two, repentance means return, comes from? Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Okay. Talking point number three, repentance is God's work too. So we're going to see that God and the uh, human agent cooperate in this work of restoration. So we'll get that primarily from Wednesday's lesson. All right. And that's pretty much it. It's a very simple outline. So let's go back to number one. Yes. What this can't idea that God there, do? There are some things God can't do. Now, this is not the whole, and please don't open up your Sabbath school classes to the, can God build a box so big he can't lift it, or something <laughs> like that. That's not, the, we're not talking about in that physical uh, sovereign sense. What we're talking about is in the spiritual sense of the nature of the creation now and the restoration of that creation, God has, in his wisdom, imposed limits, and we'll talk about that. So, for instance... Well, I'm just thinking, and we've touched on this, if you've been following us through, maybe you're joining us for the first time for Talking Points, but there's a little repetition today as we find in the lesson. So if you're like, wait a minute, didn't I already see this Talking Points? Yeah. You know, uh, that was last week's. Yeah. yeah. Well, repetition is learning, and so <clears throat> we've got to keep that in mind. That's right. All right, but 
But we're talking about choice again. Right. And in, for instance, on Monday's lesson, towards the end of the first paragraph, it makes this important point. God's foreknowledge, even of our free choices, has no bearing whatsoever on the freedom of those choices. Mm-hmm. Okay? So God's foreknowledge does not limit our freedom. So, Pastor Aaron, let's talk about this for a minute. There's a difference between knowing something's going to happen and causing it to happen. Yes. Right? So, I'm, I'm trying to think of an earthly example of this, but of course, no human being well, has I, absolute foreknowledge. But uh, the, the example's been given that, you know, a parent has, at your home, do you have Band-Aids on hand? We do. <laughs> okay. And so... Do you kind of <laughs> know something's coming? Is it because you're abusing your children? No, no I'm not and you making have come. bandages. <laughs> exactly. No, you know that kids are going to get hurt, and you're mm. prepared for it. So there's a little bit of the. Is it, there's some sort not of not on the scope of God, obviously, right. but a foreknowledge that. So we know the possibilities, we know the likelihoods and the odds, but right. God knows definitively these things are going to happen. So, yes. but the fact that He knows I'm going to make the choice does not mean that He's the one making the choice. Yeah. And I think this is where people get caught up in the great controversy. How could there be a great controversy when God is sovereign over all? Well, part of me just figures, I, I mean, for a, a, a finite mind to comprehend foreknowledge, this is a discussion that's been <laughs> going on since I became a Christian, uh, you know, that people, do, if, before I became a Christian, I mean, this. If God knows everything, then does he predetermine everything? Does he force everything to happen? And the reality is, I mean, somebody can entertain that thought, but I think there's enough evidence in the scripture that, and we talked about this also in our last lesson, that if God knows everything ahead of time, and God has the, and God is God, why do, and this is the, in fact, this is, is this not the uh, atheist's paradox that if God is loving and God is powerful, mm-hmm. why do bad things happen? And the atheist conjectures that he must either not be all powerful, or he's not loving, or he's to do not all about loving. It. Yeah. And uh, this ties into this whole foreknowledge concept. That um, at any rate. Well, let's take a look at one example in the life of Christ. It kind of gives an, uh, illustrates this in yes. Luke chapter twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you look that up there with me here too? And yeah. We'll talk about this for a second. I'll start reading. It's Luke 22, starting with verse 31. Right. In fact, you're already there. Why don't you read? 31 And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And then keep reading. But, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. So in this one little instance, Mm -hmm. Christ is saying, I know what's going to happen. And I can tell Mm -hmm. you the details of it. It's going to be three times before the rooster crows. It's going to be you who does it. Right. But this is the same Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, clearly God, he knows what's coming. But he's still imploring him to make a good choice. And he's saying that and, after that... And he's praying that it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean... So how do we resolve these things? I pray that your faith not fail, but when it does, mm-hmm. I, okay. But that he'll come back and be strengthened. Yeah. That's exactly what happened as well. So neither Peter's fall nor his repentance was like God just toying with him. Right. Peter was a volitional creature all through that and made choices. God just declared what they were going to be. What's interesting is 
I mean, you're bordering on the philosophical, are we even sitting here kind of stuff. Because the Lord, and we know this with prophecy, we've talked about it before, in telling Peter this beforehand, it actually precipitated his repentance. It didn't make him choose. Mm -hmm. You understand? God didn't force. It was up to Peter, but the Lord knew, just like prophecy, he foretells it. And then when it happens, it has an impact on my reasoning to want to choose the right thing. Right. So, so he's not doing it to in. dictate beyond our choice, but he is doing it to influence so that we'll make the right choice. Absolutely. And, and part of the idea of him doing it is because he's God. I mean, <laughs> if he didn't have foreknowledge, it's like, why am I worshiping him? You understand? Yeah. I mean, there are certain things. He's immortal. He's, the, you know, the, there are elements that pieces of, of, of who he is that are because he's God. Well, and this brings to brings us to kind of the central theme of this lesson. There are God is, of course, omnipotent, omniscient. Yes. Yet within that, He has created us in His image to be able to think and do according to our thoughts, That's limited right. and finite as they are. And so, in that, He wants to partner with us, if you will, and say, "Take your limited strength and attach it to my unlimited strength." And I can essentially bring you into a relation with me mm-hmm. that is, uh, it's, it will share in that omniscience in the sense that you don't have to know, but you can be attached to the one who does. You know? I have to say, I mean, again, bringing another point up, uh, reiterating it, I have an 18-year-old daughter, I have a 25-year-old son, and I don't have foreknowledge. And yet, just from life experience, I know and I mean no, like 98% no, that if they take this step or make this decision, I know what's going to happen. Because I've gone there. I've watched other people go there as a pastor. I've worked with people. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? You have the next best thing to foreknowledge. So I think that just even in that whole parental relationship, God gives us a little insight Mm -hmm. into what it's like to have a foreknowledge and to want to try to turn. Mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, I know as much as I sometimes would love to force my daughter to do this, that, and the other. And as a parent, Sometimes you have your your hard and fast rules. There's a lot where you just try to bend the will, Mm. right? But you know they've got to make the choice. And that's a lot of what we're seeing here, that Mm. God knows where a certain path leads. Mm. I mean, more than knows from experience kind of thing. He knows it in the foreknowledge sense, but that doesn't mean he makes it happen. I know Mm. when my daughter makes such and such choice where it's going to end up. But I'm not making it happen, God forbid, some of the, you understand. I absolutely understand. Maybe there's a reason. Let's go to Deuteronomy 5 as we, yes. because we've got to keep moving on here. But maybe there's a reason that God uses the analogy of as a parent to a child and yes. how he treats us because it's the closest thing we can relate to his circumstance. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, uh, yes. to this very point. Now, before you read that passage, in Sunday's lesson, yes. and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I'm going to certainly mispronounce it, but a miyitin. Um, is the Hebrew phrase that gets translated repeatedly in the Bible, apparently, oh, oh, that this would happen. Oh, look at this, you know, where he brings out the point that it literally means who will give. It's a rhetorical um, uh, tool to kind of lament who can do this, right? Mm -hmm. And he talks about it, how in David says that, oh, the salvation work, uh, oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. It's like, oh, who can make this happen, right? Job, oh, that I might have my request. Who can mm-hmm. help me, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he sets the stage in Sunday's lesson to say, now that we've seen those examples of what this term really means, then 
we can see God use that same term in Deuteronomy 5, 29. Yeah, where the Lord says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. And so here you see the Lord employing that, who can make this happen? So it's fascinating. Right. When, you, when you hear Job, it makes sense that Job's crying out, oh, who can do this for right. me? Because Job is helpless, but you don't ever really see God in a place where he's like, who can do this yeah. for me? Right. Like, but, I can't do it. The implication in that expression is, I can't do it. Who will do it for me? Who can make it happen? And so for and, God and, and, to and, utter that. And for the contributor here, Elder Goldstein, he's, he's looking at it and say, like, this is one of those really neat examples of the limit God has put on himself. He's like, how much he would love to step in in his might yes. and power to fix it. But as soon as he made mm. that choice for us, it wouldn't be our choice anymore. That's right. So he's, he writes in the, in the, what is it, one, two, three, four, fifth paragraph of Sunday. <laughs> what an example of the reality of free will. Here we see that there are limits to what God can do in the midst of the great controversy. The use of mid-yitin reveals that even God can't trample on free will. For the moment he did, it would no longer be free. Mm. So all of this is inside that first umbrella. There are some things God can't do. And when we talk about the work of repentance... He wants to see it happen. He knows whether it's going to happen, but it's still left to us to choose the right. That's right. Which brings us to talking point number talking two. Talking point number two. Repentance means turn. So if we were mm. to actually practice this repentance, what's involved? And that is a turning away. Repentance means return. Yeah, exactly. Not just turning, but returning. This is brought up. In fact, why don't you read there the first uh, paragraph six from Monday's lesson? Sure. It's either the, the word or... in Deuteronomy 430, often translated turn, really means to return. That is, they are going back to the Lord to where they were supposed to have been all along. The Hebrew word teshuva from the same root word for to return means repentance. And so you were making a point of this in our pre-discussion that... Mm. It's not just turning away from something. Right. Like I could, so I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to turn away and take up pot smoking. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's not helpful. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I've stopped that one bad thing. Well, yeah, you've done another slightly different thing, but I mean, in this, in the same so you family. Can, so yeah, turning away is not just... Right. It's not just turning a different course. It means turning around to what the Lord's original intent was. It's, it's mm -hmm. aligning yourself with his ideals. Yes. And what's fascinating with that is it, it presupposes that God has an ideal, that yes. it started with an ideal. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't always the train wreck that it is in this mm -hmm. world, you know, and that there is an original and an ideal and something that's going to bring peace and joy and happiness. So it's not, a, it, it, even the idea of turning, I'm going to turn, you know, when we, repentance is a turning away or returning to God from sin, well, the temptation is to think that nothing can get better than my sin. Mm. And so in that whole context of returning like, how do I know it's better? Because it was better. Mm. In other words, there was a time. And so I'm yeah. not returning to an unknown. Like, let's see how this works out. Mm -hmm. God's asking us to return to an established, clearly better time. And you know, place. I don't know if many people view Deuteronomy because it's the book of the law. We've heard la, 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 la. And right. it, you could almost think like, well, there's all those other, let's admit it, funner options, but there's the right way, which is God's way. So I got to buckle down and do right. it. When God's like, I'm trying to make the appeal. This is the vastly better yes. option, right? And so returning to that ideal. And so, well, a couple of statements. One is from Patriarchs and Prophets 557, which is also found yes. in uh, Wednesdays. It says, true mm -hmm. repentance 
Which, by the way, if you had to have a modifier true, indicates there could be a false, mm-hmm. right? But she says true repentance is more than sorrow for sin. So more than like, man, I don't like this thing. I'm going to do something else, right? It is a resolute so this turning is fascinating. away from evil. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off, but tr- uh, true repentance is more than sorrow for sin. So I was thinking as you started out instead mm-hmm. of false repentance, well, a false repentance, there are repentances where there's not even a sorrow for sin, mm-hmm. where we're told that, you know, Esau repented because of the, and people repent because of the consequences of the sin. Or Balaam. I didn't know you stood in front but of me. notice <laughs> what Ellen White is saying here is even if there's a sorrow for sin, mm-hmm. it's not true repentance unless it includes it the les- the resolute turning away. turning away. Right. So repenting of your sins, just <clears throat> saying And that I'm is repenting. what the Hebrew is. That's exactly. What so just even Elder feeling the need for repentance or, or, or recognizing that until you actually do it, it's not repentance, right? Yeah. In fact, another one, uh, Steps to Christ, very famously, page 23, repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. There's those two elements again. We shall not renounce sin until we see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in heart, there will be no real change in the life. So there must be a, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use the phrase, decided change, not just a change. So it, because the whole lesson is about free will and choice yes. undergirding this repentance. But it can't just be like, I sense the need for it, or it'd probably be better if, or even a half-hearted. It has to be a decided, I am going to turn my eyes upon Jesus and go back to where he has established me to be. And this is what you see, you know, Thursday's lesson. I've included Thursday as yes. part of this repentance means return because what do you see in the New Testament? Because there's calls to repentance all over the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I think most uh, primarily of John the Baptist, right? And he's preaching these revival sermons and people coming to get, get baptized. Right. But then as it just became a form you go through, people are coming yes. along. And what did he tell them? He's like, go f- Go and bring forth fruit. Right. Meet with repentance. It's like we need to see some decided change in the life. Right. Or in the book of Acts where Peter says, repent and be converted. Yeah. And so you've, you, you've, he's built in that element of turning away into the process. Exactly right. So the, I'm the, sorry, not turning away, but returning. Returning. Not just turning some other way, but returning to God. So, that's what we just read with Pete, what Jesus said to Peter. When you return to me. Exactly. That's the exact word used in the experience with Peter was... When you return, because you're going to go your own way, yeah. then you're going to come back and see mm-hmm. that this is the right way. And I pray that you'll do that. So what I find fascinating about this is this, to your point earlier, what we would typically think is New Testamental, grace-filled, yes. repentance. This is soaked, in, the whole yes. scripture is soaked in this one motif from start to beginning that, yes, there's sin, but there's that opportunity for repentance and heart change that only God can provide if we choose to go back as he wants us. It's fascinating to me. Well, let's turn to talking point number three then. Yeah. And this is kind of the undergirding of it all. Repentance is God's work too. We, we should probably look at a couple passages. Yes. Uh, first of all, Acts 5.31 and 2 Timothy 2.25, which you have here in the notes. Um, I'll, you want to, I'll do Acts and you do 2 Timothy? Sure. All right. Acts chapter 5, verse 31, says, well, let's start with verse 29 to give, mm-hmm. to give the complete context. It says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Then he starts to explain, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, speaking of Jesus, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior 
to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting that apparently this is framed as a the repentance is a gift as well. Yes. That it's given by God. Just in the same way he gives forgiveness, he can give repentance. Yeah. So it's not just a thing you have to do and then God will accept you. He's partnering with this repentance. What do you see yeah, in 2 Timothy? And, and we need to flesh that out a little bit. 2 Timothy, similarly, uh, I'll start in verse 24, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, etc., etc. So mm. in, in both of these cases, you've got God giving repentance. And, and the, the Acts text is one that I use quite a bit. It's It's so clear that God... You know, we think of God forgiving, and in fact, for a lot of people who are just coming to the Lord, and there may be somebody in your classes, or there may be somebody here, even as as you're viewing this talking points, I run into people who, they get the idea that I've been away from the Lord, and in order to return to the Lord, it's got to be me taking the initiative. Mm. I've got to muster up the right kind of, we already read that repentance includes sorrow for sin, so I've got to mm. get myself sorry for sin. Mm. Well, you can't do that. And mm. so we think that that's our part, and then God forgives. And so when the Bible tells us in Acts that the Lord Jesus gives repentance and forgiveness, mm. that's a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. But then you've got these calls in the New Testament to repent. Right. And so where's the... Exactly. So it's saying you different. repent is the implied, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that phrasing, right? Repent says who? Well, that's me. But then he says the same Peter would later say, well, God's going to give you forgive, uh, repentance. So... It seems that there's a false understanding that either God's is going to do without my involvement or I have to do it without God's involvement. Yes. When the reality is every step of the redemption process is a co-laboring together. That's right. That God gives us, for instance, God gives us the power of choice and he influences us, but we have to make the choice. And he gives us mm-hmm. the, the power to change our lives, but we have to actually step forward in faith, much like the healing of the paralytics, right? That's Stand right. Stand up and walk. And in the standing, the healing comes. That's right. So I've often looked at repentance as... Where there are two components. There's the sorrow for sin component, and then there's the turning away or returning to God component. Mm-hmm. I can't generate sorrow for sin. The Lord has to put that in my heart, but the Lord will not turn me away. I've got to choose that. Mm-hmm. And so as your cooperation, you're, you're talking about it there. Right. And I think in the book Steps to Christ, you have the element of confession. You have a chapter called Repentance, a chapter called Confession, where that repentance, a lot of that the sorrow for sin element, there's the turning away element too, but the sorrow for sin element God gives us God's not going to confess for me. And I like what you said as we were talking about it, that the book, you know, in all of those things in Steps to Christ are steps to Christ. Right. And if there wasn't a cooperation, it would be called conveyor belt. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, I think a lot of people have this idea just like, ride our way along. that we just completely flop with no participation at all onto the grace train. Yes. Green, he takes on, where God is saying, no, I'm powering you. I'm encouraging you. I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to do everything. I, but I need you to cooperate with your choice in each step so that you're actually walking through my strength. You know, you would think that experience. would be such a simple concept, but it is something we battle all the time, even in today's church. This idea, as soon as you talk about us having a choice, and it's like, hold on a minute. You know, we get all concerned that, you know, we can't do anything of ourselves. That's true. God empowers us. But if God were to go beyond that, and that's one thing the lesson is To violate this out, free will principle. Right. First of all, the devil would be the first to throw a flag on the play in a great controversy. <laughs> like, there is no way. And 
If that were the case, why didn't you just conveyor belt Adam and Eve in the beginning? Yeah, why would he go through so this whole long thousands of years experience of sin and death when he's like, actually, I could have done a different... It, has, <laughs> it, it all comes down to that we've got, the choice is ours. Well, and part of choosing is acting. That You know, we like to say, no, I made a choice. There's, a, there's an old uh, story or little... Uh, illustration of five frogs sat on a log, one decided to, or, or, or four decided to jump in, or one decided to jump in. So how many frogs are left on the log? Five, because deciding to jump in is not jumping in. Mm. In other words, you can sit and say, oh no, I want, but part of choice is that is action. Well, and I think about like the quintessential example of this partnership was seen in Gethsemane, right? When Jesus said he knew what the Father's will was, he, yes. but in his humanity, he didn't relish the thought of doing it. He was, he was literally begging if there's any other way. That's but right. then he came down to the idea, but the, what was the quintessential issue? Not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, Mark, what did mm-hmm. he do? God sent angels to strengthen him That's so exactly he could actually right. have the power to finish that commitment. That's right. And th- what, a, what a lesson for us in our walk with Christ today. Well, Desire of Ages, page 172. Right, so when we're talking about and emphasizing the human aspect of it, it's not in our strength. Absolutely. Nobody's saying that, well, God does part and we do part. No, God does it all, but he can't do it without our choice. <laughs> well, I think that a lot of times in our discussions of salvation, we like to say, this is the God part and this is the us part. And then to make sure it's not works oriented, we say, but it's only the God part that saves you. Yes. So that so so our part is really just fruit and it's optional later. <laughs> it's like, how about we reframe it? How about it's all God power and right. all participation with us. So there's no that's part right. that's unessential and there's no part that's untethered from God. Yes. He's working his work through well, us. Well, that's what I see in the statement you were going to read here from Desire of Ages, I believe. Yeah, Desire of Ages 172. She writes, The Christian's life is not a modification or improvement of the old, but a transformation of nature. There's a death to self and sin and a new life altogether. This change can be brought about only by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit. So to say that, well, God forgives, and now in response, you're going to... No. No. God forgives, and in response, he's going to strengthen you too. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit is this change going to ever happen. The Lord is the only one that can make the change, but the Lord will never make the change without the choice. Beautiful. And so that choice puts that into uh, uh, action, all these other uh, things into effect. Well, why don't you read there for this Wednesday, yes, paragraph Wednesday's three, lesson, a good summary statement. Paragraph three, this is why they were given the wonderful promise that if they returned to the Lord, sincerely turned to him, then he would work in them and would circumcise their hearts. They would have to make the choice amid their captivity to return to God, and he would then bring them back to himself and to the land. And then, and then there in the land, he would bless them. And part of the blessing is that he would work in them to change their hearts even more toward him so that they and their children would, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live, from Deuteronomy 32. Mm. So even the love for God is a love that comes from God. That's exactly. <laughs> and so it's God working all through and through. There's not one piece mm. of any part of the aspect that we can say, this is my part and his part, and I'm going to be... That's right. We're not partnering with God in the sense that he brings 50%, no. and he bring, we bring... What, he brings all the resources we need, and we choose to be on his side. That's right. It's the creator recreating man, mm. restoring him, returning him back to yes. where he was in the when God's ideal was... And as a great closing thought, like we can say, all right, bring him back. So you could get the idea that, all right, once we're back to, you know, level ground, now that repentance work is all done. Mm -hmm. But look at this. At every advance, this is from uh, Christ Objects Lesson 160, and you see it on Friday's lesson. Yes. At every advance step 
in Christian experience, our repentance will deepen. So you can't say, like, I got saved or I got repentance. You know what? Yeah. As you go on, you're going to see, like, you know, there's even deeper depths of this. There's more That's character right. developed. I need to change. Okay. It is to those whom the Lord has forgiven, to those whom he acknowledges as his people that he says, then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight. Again, he says, I will establish my covenant with thee and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame when I am pacified toward these for all that thou hast done, said the Lord God. Then our lips will not be open in self-glorification. We shall know that our sufficiency is in Christ alone. We shall make the apostles' confession our own. I know that in me, that in my, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Laying the glory of man in the dust and seeing the repentance as a gift from God that he partners with us to be fulfilled. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift and power of repentance that you offer us. Please, Lord, help us to make good choices. Help us to have a genuine sorrow for sin and in your strength to turn away from those sins and become entirely new people. Lord, it's a big ask and we cannot do it without your strength, but we know that in your strength we can do all things. So we confidently come to you and ask that you would bless all the Sabbath schools that discuss these things. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.